Welcome to the Flying Brian Show, UFC 206 post-fight show. My name is obviously Flying Brian. We're here to break down some of the action from UFC 206. Opposite from me right here is one of my actual real good friends in real life, not just the guy that I snagged up to do a post-fight show with me, Wesley Riddle. He writes articles for MMA Sucka. He tweets a bunch from the handle at all that MMA. He's a lifelong fight fan, and he's really knowledgeable. What the hell's going on, Wesley Riddle? Oh, nothing much, man. Just got back to campus, uh, ready to talk about some of the fights that went down. Actually, it might have been my favorite uh, pay-per-view that we've seen so far in 2016. Uh, really in uh, just interesting from beginning to end. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, uh, pretty tired. But uh, anytime we talk about fights, I think it'll keep me up a little bit longer than I want. So. Well, you mentioned it right there, Wes. Let's talk about the grade for the card straight away. It, it a lot of people before the event were talking about how they wouldn't buy this thing because it's not pay-per-view worthy. Uh, there's not enough big names on it. There aren't good enough fights. They're not even going to save it with this interim belt. That means nothing. It's not, you know, it's a paper belt. It's worthless. It's not going to be a good fight card. I'm not going to buy the pay-per-view for that reason. But the fight card ended up being absolutely stupendous. I gave it um, an A from A to F on grade scale. I don't know about best pay-per-view uh, this year, but... Obviously, you're given the grade an A. Can you talk to me about why you would give it that grade? Yeah, um, I it may be one of the best of the year. I haven't really had a chance to think about each pay-per-view that we've seen. Uh, but overall, I think uh, just looking especially at the pay-per-view that we had, uh, I think that was definitely awarding of an A. Uh, these five fights, I thought each one brought something pretty interesting to the table uh, from the start of Jordan Mean, his return, and, his, and the fifth fight that we saw, which was the first on the card. Uh, Kennedy ended up getting finished for the first time in a while in his career. We saw Cub Swanson and Dooku Choi put on one of the best fights of the year and maybe of all time. Also, Cerrone with an awesome head kick knockout and Holloway being the first man to stop Pettis, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. I um, thought the main card was great, as I said. Prelims were okay. Um, fight pass was pretty good, too, um, but a pretty good card overall. Fantastic card overall, Wes. I already said I gave it an A. The reasons for my grade are that there were so many momentum swings. In almost every fight on the main card, there was a moment where one guy was winning, and then the other guy comes back and, and snatches victory away from his opponent. That's what makes fights exciting, the back-and-forth nature of it. The main event here between Max Holloway, he defeated Anthony Pettis, TKO punches, at 450 of round number three, it wasn't that great of a fight, and one reason for that was there was no momentum swings. You and I were talking about it before we went on air here. Max Holloway won every round, or so the two rounds prior to getting the finish, so there was really no momentum swings. There wasn't any, like, big bombs landed where you're like, oh, shit, you know, you, you get on the edge of your seat and you know, your eyes kind of light up. There were no moments like that in the main event, but in the rest of them, Donald Cerrone versus Matt Brown. Matt Brown hurt Donald Cerrone, dropped him at, at what – I think it was either in the first or second round. And then Donald Cerrone comes back and snatches victory away from Matt Brown at 34 seconds of the very first of the third round. Uh, Duho Choi, Cub Swanson, both guys hurt each other over and over, back and forth. It looked like Duho Choi was could get stopped at any moment. He was showing no head movement whatsoever, but he also hurt Cub Swanson. He'd hurt Cub, and then Cub would come back with some wide looping punches. Incredible. Kelvin Gastelum, uh, not that mo many momentum swings there, but Emil Meek versus Jordan Mean momentum swings all over the place. Um, so we already gave our grades out. Wes, uh, before we talk about each fight individually, also fans, 
if I'm sporadic with how I'm talking about this, it's because I don't usually do post-fight shows on my YouTube channel. This is kind of random. Um, I just want to pump out a little content and engage with you guys a little bit. If you're watching right now and you put a comment sec comment in the chat section, I will answer it and I will ask a question to Wesley as well. If you ask it, I just want to engage with you guys. So Wes, let's give out our post-fight bonuses, fight of the night performance bonuses. Um, I'll let you go first. All right, thanks a lot. Uh, the first fight I'll talk about is the fight of the night. And I think that definitely, I don't know how you could deny it. It goes to Cub Swanson versus Du Ho Choi, excuse me. One of the best fights for me that I've ever had the chance to watch. Um, as we mentioned, momentum swings. It was action packed from beginning to end. And one thing that I liked about both guys is that there were moments where I felt like uh, that they could have given up if they weren't mentally strong uh, coming into the fight uh, and being able to overcome that adversity from the strikes. And I felt like each one of them did, and they ended up going to a decision. Uh, and they both overcame a lot of adversity throughout that fight, uh, being able to survive a lot of uh, very striking attempts uh, and being uh, hurt a couple times. Um, so for that reason, that's why I give that fight of the night. Uh, hopefully everybody else agrees. The two other performances that I would give, uh, they would definitely go to Donald Cerrone, I think, deserves one. Um, a very interesting fight there. Very entertaining from the beginning. Uh, and Cerrone was able to come back and get that head kick in the third round to end that fight and stop Matt Brown. I think he's definitely deserving of one, and I think the other goes down to UFC Fight Pass, which was the headliner for the preliminary card down there, and that was Lando Venata getting that spinning wheel kick knockout over John McDessie. I was sitting in Buffalo Wild Wings without any sound watching that happen because everybody was so freaking loud, and that was one of the coolest things that I've ever seen without sound. So I really enjoyed that. Um, those would be my two performances. Uh, I know some people were leaning towards Holloway, getting a bonus over his win against Pettis since he was the first man to stop Anthony Pettis. However, I think that Cerrone and Lando Venata, uh, their performances were more uh, worthy of getting a bonus in that case. So those are my uh, bonuses that I would give after UFC 206. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with your bonuses. I, I would give the same ones. And it speaks to how incredibly entertaining the card was as a whole that you can't give i don't feel like we can give a bonus to max holloway because of the ones that you mentioned don cerrone lando venata and of course duho Choi versus cub swanson where, where max holloway did have a super impressive performance and he did finish anthony pettis for the first time in anthony pettis's career but those other performances are more deserving because of uh the sheer entertaining nature of the bouts and then also like the highlight reel level of the finish. So yes, Max Holloway did finish Anthony Pettis, but that's not going to go on a highlight reel. But the other two finishes that you mentioned, they will be on highlight reels. They will be on each person's uh, promo package from now going forward. Both of those guys, when when Cerrone hit Matt Brown and when uh, Venata hit McDessie, their souls seem to have left their body, their, their opponents, McDessie and Brown I'm talking about. This just... Getting knocked out like that in that highlight, real-level fashion, you know, they weren't TKOs. Those were knockouts. And more often than not, we see TKOs. And that was, They were both knockouts. Incredible. Sure, Max Holloway's performance was, was top-notch, but, um, you know, it's not great. So right here, Wesley, I want to mention um, that obviously Max Holloway is going to be fighting Jose Aldo next for the un, undisputed uh, – <laughs> For the undisputed featherweight title, um, who would you pick in that matchup and why? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, man, 
I probably would lean towards Jose, but that's just me saying it because he is the champion. As in, uh, he was the interim champion, but now he is the champion because Cerrone or uh, because uh, Cormier got hurt, and then so forth and so forth. As we know, uh, I think I'd lean towards Jose. Uh, I feel like he could uh, be able to provide a little bit more uh, dynamically than Max Holloway. Holloway does like to press forward, but so does Jose. Uh, I think Holloway, he tends to get hit a decent amount in some of his fights, and I feel like Jose would be able to do enough damage to possibly earn a decision in that fight. And I also think that his um, – I, I don't know. When it comes to takedowns, it seems like it could be pretty even because they both like to keep it standing. Holloway does more trips. Jose looks for more takedowns, um, double legs and stuff like that. Uh, so it seems pretty even there. I think it just comes down to it on the feet. It's going to be an interesting fight when it happens, and hopefully it'll happen soon. Uh, I think I'm going to lean Jose for now. However, I would definitely like to look at some more tape uh, and just kind of evaluate and see how they match up stylistically. I would pick Jose just as of right now. I need time to think about it, but this these spur-of-the-moment picks, you know, I too need to look at more film. But my initial reaction was Pettis was getting the better of, of Holloway with the quickness of his kicks. And Jose Aldo's kicks, um, being that he's – you know, more suited for the 145 pound division. They come with more ferocity. They come with more velocity. And I feel like he could get the better of Holloway with those kicks. I would favor that fight going the distance, but as of right now, this second, I would put an ever so slightly advantage on Jose Aldo. If we're talking odds here, like minus 120 to plus 110 for Jose being the favorite at minus 120, come back on Holloway at plus 110. We have a comment coming in. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Shane Love Train Rail wants to know if we agree with the judges. Two of the judges gave Cub Swanson all three rounds against Duho Choi. He wants to know if we agree. I'll say that um, I do agree. When I was scoring the fight live, I thought that Duho won the first round. He landed more strikes than Swanson. But Swanson's, you know, if you're a judge and you're sitting there, perhaps the, the wide looping nature of of Cub Swanson's strikes, they're more easily seen. If, if that's, I don't think that's the best way to put it, but you can see those strikes landing a lot easier than you can the quick straight shots from Duho Choi, where he's mostly doing counters. And I mentioned last week on the show how I don't think judges are very good at scoring counter fighters because you can't see the strikes as easily as you can, like the wide looping punches that Cub Swanson was throwing. Um, I did score the first round for Duho Choi, rounds three or rounds two and three. For Cub Swanson, but I did say when I was tweeting out that the first round was super close. But I was, I also I wanted Duho Choi to win, so that's one reason why I gave him the first round. But Wesley, what do you think about the judges giving uh, two of the judges giving all three to Cub Swanson? Do you agree? How did you score that fight? I think you nailed it on the head. When I watched the fight happen, I thought the first round did go to Choi. However, I do see why the judges did give that round uh, to. Cub Swanson, you pretty much nailed it on the head like you were saying about how the looping nature of Cub Swanson when he throws his punches. And I also think another thing is is that looking at the way Choi fights, he stands a little bit taller than Cub Swanson, so maybe it appears to the judges that he's getting tagged harder and by Cub Swanson than Choi is landing on Cub because Cub seems a little bit more fluid with his punches and seems to uh, – just kind of have a little bit more upper body movement. Choi fought a little bit too tall, and I think that could be a reason why maybe the judges saw that first round for Swanson. Uh, it was pretty close. Definitely a round to go back and watch. Definitely a fight to go back and watch. Um, but I know for me personally, I thought the round was 
Uh, definitely for Choi, you understand why they could have scored it for Swanson. Quickly, I'm looking up um, the fight metrics, the stats. So in round number one, the stats, Swanson landed 22, Duho Choi landed 27, and Duho Choi had uh, cage control for 46 more seconds. No, 31 more seconds than Cub Swanson. Um, Choi landed at a lesser percentage of strikes thrown, Swanson 56 to Duho's 50. Um, no, Duho Choi landed at a higher percentage. Duho Choi landed 54% of his strikes, and Swanson landed 39. So uh, I guess it, it does come down to it was Connor Rebush and Patrick Wyman and Z Zane, Zane Simon from Bloody Elbow, all three of those dudes. Um, they mentioned that they don't think judges have very much experience judging counterfighters. So maybe that was the whole thing. Um, anyway, I hope we answered your question, Shane. If the rest of you viewers have any questions, we will answer them on the show, no matter what. Well, let's talk about, let's scoot down, talk about uh, Tim Kennedy versus Kelvin Gastelum. I had a question. Do you think that Kelvin Gastelum should stay at 185 pounds? Uh, he says he wants to go back to 170. I don't. I personally don't want him to ruin another fight card by saying he's going to fight at 170 and then fucking coming in at 180 pounds. I don't. Th he's done it like four or five times, and the last time he ruined a fight against Donald Cerrone. So I had to wait like an extra month to watch Donald Cerrone fight. And while Cerrone is one of the most exciting fucking fighters in the world, if you're holding me away from watching Cerrone fight, I'm mad at you. So Kelvin Gastelum, I'm mad at you, and I don't want you to fight at 170 again. I think that he could be a top contender at 185 pounds. I think he should stay there. So, uh, Wesley, my question to you is, do you think Kelvin Gastelum should stay at 185? He should stay or should go back to 170? How impressed were you with his performance where he uh, got a TKO victory over Tim Kennedy at 214 of the third round? And also, what do you think is next for Tim Kennedy? Man, there's a lot I could say uh, about Kelvin Gastelum and Tim Kennedy. Uh, the first thing I'll say uh, Kelvin Gastelum, he needs to stay at middleweight. He should not be trying to get back down to welterweight. I know afterwards, after he won, he said, oh, I'm going to make some life changes. And don't get me wrong, I think that's important. I think that that's uh, a very good outlook. But however, how many fighters have we heard say something like that and not back it up? And also, how many times in the past has he already missed weight at welterweight and, uh, like you said, ruined a fight? Or ruined a card because um, he missed the weight to begin with. So we saw that already with Cerrone. He missed weight so many times. Uh, he missed it when he fought Tyron Woodley by like 10 pounds. He missed it when he fought Nika Musoki. Um, and I really don't think he should go back to that weight class. I think he did fine against Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy's done so much in the middleweight division throughout his career, and he had an awesome performance. Kelvin Gastelum went great. I think that Kelvin's cardio would definitely be a lot better in this weight class than trying to cut all the way back down uh, to 170 pounds. Um, much it. I mean, I don't have anything really else to say about Kelvin Gaslam. I think he, like I said, he looked fine, uh, and I think that that was the right decision to stay 185 pounds. Um, and I think that he could definitely do some uh, damage in the in the division if he decides to stay there, which he should. Uh, I don't think he should risk it again, and I really don't think Dana White's going to let that happen again. Uh, on the other flip side. The other flip side. On the other side, we have Tim Kennedy. Um, man, that was hard to watch because we've seen Tim Kennedy do some great things, as I said, in this weight class. And we've been anticipating his comeback ever since losing to Stoolgate. And 
uh, he didn't really show up. He looked like he got tired really early in the fight. Um, he seemed to just shoot for takedowns sometimes that weren't really there uh, and just try to get the fight down to the ground. Um, and his striking didn't look up to par in comparison to Kelvin. I think that uh, this might be the end for Tim Kennedy. I feel bad saying that because he has to, had such a great career. Um, and he already has a win over the champion, Michael Bisping, and that was his last win, but that was so far back. That was in April of 2014. So I think that may be the end for Tim Kennedy mentally. I don't think that that is a good way to go out, especially the fact that he's lost these last two. Um, that's that's pretty much it I have to say about him too. I mean, it was an interesting fight, uh, but I mean both – I guess there are some complaints I can say about both, but then again, I'm not a fighter and I know nothing about uh, their personalities or what they think in their own brain. So that's pretty much my take on that fight and both of those fighters individually. Well, we can say whatever the hell we want. This is one, one thing that I think Wes is, you know, we're not fighters. Sure. But the purpose of this show, is, I'm going to turn this into a podcast. So the purpose of this show podcast and video version is for entertainment purposes. And so we're not fighters. They're not on this show. And so I'm here to tell you my exact opinion. I think that Tim Kennedy, he did look poor tonight. I feel like his mind is not in it. When he talked before the fight card, he's actually been talking about this for a long time. He said that he only wants to fight for the belt. He only wants to work toward getting the belt. This guy makes money in making other you know, TV shows. He's on reality shows. I don't know. I don't watch fucking cable other than fights but so he talks about making money there he makes money as an army ranger as a sniper he doesn't need the money from fighting he wants the glory from fighting and he only wants to be here if he's going to be fighting for a title and he's not going to get there obviously not he just got finished by a guy who normally fights at 170 pounds so i question where his mindset's going to be of course in the days coming we're probably going to learn a lot about what he's going to be saying at the post-fight press conference, what have you. He'll be giving us some information about what he's going to be doing next. For Kelvin Gastelum, you hit the nail on the head, man. The cardio from this man, especially at 185 pounds, is going to be so much to deal with for anybody at this weight class. We're talking about dudes who, let's just talk about Luke Rockhold, for, for instance. He cuts a shit ton of weight to make 185 pounds. Chris Weidman, he struggled mightily to make 185 pounds. And uh, and so these guys, when they're trying to make that weight, their cardio wanes in the later rounds. With Kelvin Gastelum, if he were just to fight at his natural weight class, he said he didn't have to cut anything for this fight. He could really shine by having superior cardio. He's got that output. He's got incredible hands, incredible striking, crisp hands. Chris, I'm being really redundant. But anyway, so the the cardio along with the output that he puts on fighters could be really tough to deal with for anybody in the top 10 of that division. I don't see him getting into the top 10 of – well, he's in, he might have been in the top 10 of welterweight, but at middleweight, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with at 185 pounds. This is throwing off the top of my head. Robert Whitaker deserves a title shot perhaps for his impressive performance over Derek Brunson. But how about Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker? I like the matchup just stylistically because of the output that they put, that their former 175-pound uh, fighters moving up um, and dealing with that. I think that that could be a lot of fun. Got another comment coming in. Shane, the love train. Rail says, what's the deal with Kennedy's comment about the UFC letting his leash off so he could be a champion in about six months? 
what's he trying to get at? Um, I don't know exactly. I didn't hear this comment, Shane, but one thing I can, what I think is going on here is Kennedy, he said that, well, he's joined or he's one of the guys on the board of the MMA AAA, right? The Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. So he's about a fighter's union and he doesn't like his contract with the UFC probably. Perhaps what he's talking about is he wants to go to Bellator. Uh, what do you think, Wes? Uh, I guess if it's talking about him going to Bellator, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know too much about the whole situation. I do know that he's a part of the fighter union. Um, I'm taking a look at the question, too, just so I understand. Uh, the UFC letting his leash off, and he would be a champion in six months. What's he trying to get at? Uh, I guess, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to push hard for that title shot, and um, – Immediately, maybe because of the Yoel Romero controversy, which was his last fight, which was so long ago. Really talks about, unless you're talking about Stoolgate. Uh, I don't know. Man, Tim Kennedy coming off that loss, it's going to be really hard, and I think mentally for him, because he had a really hard time getting over that loss to Yoel Romero and really let the decision and what happened following the end of the second round, end of the third round, and him sitting on the, on the stool really got to him for months following the fight. It still bothered him for like almost pretty much like a whole year after the fight even happened. And I wonder how it's going to take him or how long it's going to take him to get over this loss to Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, if it is going to, um, if he will get over the loss at some point soon, uh, I don't know if he's going to want to come back. He might want to come back. Uh, it would be cool to see him come back. But um, then again, I don't really know where he is mentally. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he, Maybe he wants to make a switch to a different promotion. Who knows? So we're talking about, we were mentioning the MM, the MMA AA. I like calling it the MMA AA rather than the MM AAA because MMA is already an acronym that I'm familiar with saying. So I'm going to stick with the MMA AA. Anyway, I'm looking at where the real bonuses were given. We gave out our bonuses. This is what the UFC gave for bonuses. They gave performance of the night bonuses to Lando Venata and Max Holloway and fight of the night to Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi. Now, the MMA AAA, one person who's on the board or was on the board is now off the board, um, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He was on, he was in the MMA Fighters Union or whatever's happening there uh, with Bjorn Rebney. And he had one of the most highlight reel level fucking switch kick knockouts I've ever seen in my life. And he was snubbed of a performance bonus. Do you think that it has more to do with Max Holloway's performance over Anthony Pettis? Or do you think it has a little bit to do with Donald Cerrone being part of the MMA AA? Um, I bet the claims are going to be uh, from those who did make the decision on the bonus that it was because Holloway was the first man to stop Anthony Pettis. But that is not true. I guarantee that it has to do with Donald Cerrone being a part, if he is still a part, of that board. Um, and I bet they're still going to settle it. Um, maybe he got paid really well. Maybe he got paid more than Holloway. Who knows? Because Donald Cerrone has been around for a while in the sport. Um, maybe they wanted to be nice to Holloway. I think that Cerrone being a part of the union uh, played a little factor in this one. Um, and I'm not really a fan of that if that is one of the reasons why. I think you could probably validate or you could give good reason for either way. Um, either Donald Cerrone not getting the bonus because he was part of the MMA AA, or you could possibly give a reason for him not getting a bonus because Max Holloway's performance was more impressive being that 
Matt Brown has been finished a bunch of, bunch of times and that uh, Pettis has never been finished. So there's, you know, a little give and take. I, I could feel like you could validate or you could give good reason for any one of those uh, scenarios. Let's move down on the fight card and talk about some some other stuff. Wes, I can just ask you, what do you want to touch on? Let's let's talk about Lando Venata versus John the Bull McDessie. Venata, obviously, incredible fucking spinning heel, spinning wheel kick knockout at 140 of the first round over John McDessie. John McDessie has some really big credentials in karate, in striking. He was a longtime martial artist before becoming a mixed martial artist. And Lando Venata just showed out on him on the feet. Fucking incredible type of stuff. Wes, what do you think of that performance? What do you think we should be next for Lando Venata? You know, he had a really tight performance against the number one contender in Tony El Kukui Ferguson. And now he showed out in against the guy, John the Bull McDessie. Really impressive performance. I don't necessarily have any ideas of where we send him next. Um, but I do think that he needs to be in a fight with a top 10 opponent. Yes. Uh, for sure. Um, I was just taking a look. I wanted to say a couple of things about Lana Venata and John McDessie. The first thing I'll say about John McDessie is that we've never seen John McDessie have anybody ever do that to him in his professional mixed martial arts career. And I know that he's been back and forth with some of his performances. However, and Cerrone did break his jaw in the one fight that did happen back last year, but no one's ever knocked out McDessie completely unconscious like Venata did. So the fact that he did that was very impressive. Secondly, I'd like to point out that McDessie coming into this, um, he was on a win streak, or not a win streak, but uh, coming off of a win to uh, Baghdad back in July. And the fight before that, he lost a split decision to Yancey Medeiros. However, when he fought Donald Cerrone, after he broke his jaw, I'm pretty sure he contemplated retirement. And I don't know how coming off this loss is going to impact him mentally as we talked about with some of the main card fighters um talking about like we said with uh, tim kennedy so i don't know where mcdessie is going to go from here i think that this loss is really going to hurt him um maybe in contracts with the ufc that may be the end of the road for him i don't know if we'll see him back who knows? Uh, do really love to watch him fight, though. He's a really interesting fighter and definitely a fun guy to keep around in the, uh, in the, um, I think, yeah, the lightweight division. Um, but I don't really know who you would give him next. Now, looking over to Lando Venata, awesome performance, um, especially coming off of that loss to Tony Ferguson. It was such an amazing fight that he was able to show on there. And the fact that he gets a spinning wheel kick knockout in under two minutes, like I said, knocking out John McDessie, really impressive. Um, I wanted to give credit. I had to look up on Twitter to a guy named Steve. He follows me. He gave me a fight suggestion that I was a really big fan of. We talked, and I thought about this too for a minute. I don't know if you should immediately hop Venata into getting a top 15 fighter. And I think the reason is because if he were to lose, I feel like he's the kind of fighter that you can work his way up and be able to get a name out of him and be able to get people to talk about him a little bit more before before you throw him into this top five and top 10 and top 15 guys. I think that maybe you want to give him one or two more fights, maybe one um, before he works his way in and gets the top 15 or the top 10. I think that would be a safe way to go. I think that would be a good way to get him another notable win on his resume. And a perfect fighter, the guy uh, Steve had brought up to me that I thought, but he unfortunately has a fight scheduled uh, next month, is Eric Koch. I think Eric Koch uh, matches up really close stylistically to John McDessie. 
Um, or excuse me, the land of Venata, of course. Um, but I do think that that fight would be a really entertaining one to watch. And I think that uh, that would be a good test for Lando Venata before he gets a top 15 guy uh, because Coke has been up near the top before and he is at the top right now. Um, I don't know if he is ranked. He might be ranked. Uh, I don't know if you know or if you have the rankings up. But I think that that would be a really interesting fight. Uh, maybe if Tony Martin gets hurt and Lando Venata is perfectly healthy and they can clear him, maybe they can just throw him another fight in a month from now, which would be pretty sweet. I want to see Lando Venata fight every single day. Unfortunately, that can't happen, but a fight that I saw from Steve that he mentioned that I really would love to see. Um, definitely some other fights probably to make, but I think, like I said, just work Venata maybe a little bit more before you throw him in there um, just so he can get a name for himself. Yeah, I, you know, I understand that you could slow roll Lando Venata. He's a guy that could be marketable. He's not that well-spoken, actually, but he is an extremely fun fucking guy to watch. His performances speak for themselves, kind of like Tony Elkukui Ferguson. Doesn't talk that much, um, but really fun to watch. But I'm a selfish fight fan, and I want to see him fight some exciting, exciting stuff right now. You mentioned the timing between... A Coke, and now depending on how often Lando Venata wants to compete, perhaps he could wait for Coke after he wins that fight. Um, you mentioned how quickly Lando Venata put down John McDessie, and you also said how Donald Cerrone put him down, put McDessie down, and Venata did it more impressively. And Donald Cerrone is one of the most exciting fighters in the world. I think I've said it a few times on this show, um, but and he's also really skilled. So for Lando Venata to like outshow Donald Cerrone in that aspect is absolutely incredible. And I say fuck slow rolling him. I think I don't know what Ally Quinta's doing lately. I think that you know he's still kind of um, upset with UFC. I am looking at the rankings, Wes. Ally Quinta's number fifteen, but stylistically, Al is uh, you know a really good boxer. He's got really crisp hands, and he's you know he's a pretty good knockout artist. Or he doesn't knock people out cold, but he's good at TKOing dudes. He's got really crisp hands. He's trained by Matt Sarah and uh, Sarah Longo. What the fuck's Longo's first name? Anyway, now Lando Venata versus Ally Quinta would be a fun fight to make. Or check this shit out. I know you want to slow roll, but what do you think about Lando Venata versus Dustin the Diamond Poirier? That would be an action Ooh. fight. That would be, you know, that fight right there could main event a shitty fight card. You know, if if Derek Lewis versus Shamil Abdurakimov can main event a fight card, Lando Venata versus Dustin Poirier could headline um, a lower fight card. So what do you think about that, Wes? Heck yeah, dude. I'd actually really be down for that fight. Um, both of them match up pretty well stylistically. I mean, they're both stand-up guys and love to bang. Another fight that I also mentioned on Twitter, uh, at all that MMA, feel free to go give me a follow if you haven't yet, and I'll give you a follow back. I'll throw that out there real quick. Um, but looking specifically at stylistic matchups, I thought of this earlier. I would also really love to see. Now, this, this may sound a little bit crazy, uh, and people are definitely not going to like this, but fuck it. Uh, I talked about Edson Barboza versus Lando Venata. Think about that stylistically. Uh, pretty similar. Um, another guy kind of similar to Poirier, except there's a little bit more spinning stuff. Um, I would really love to see that one, too. I think both are pretty good options. Um, if you wanted to throw them in there and uh, just get them out there and try to get them up there in the high in the rankings as fast as you can. You cut out for a second, so I didn't hear who you said against, but I'm assuming you said Paul Felder. That is incorrect. A top, I said, um, think about top 10. Who's similar to Paul Felder? In the top 10 of the lightweight division, throwing tons of spinning shit, 
you you're not telling me Edson Barboza. Uh, oh, I, I I'm telling you Edson Barboza. Oh, just yeah. imagine. Man, uh, that would be a fun fight, and I honestly, but, would, yeah. <laughs> I'd pick I'd pick Edson Barboza. You know, yeah, I would too. I think Edson Barboza is a guy who any given night could finish anybody, or at least beat anybody on a given night. He's been talked about for a suspect chin in the past, but Edson Barboza is one of the most dynamic strikers with the crispest hands. Crispus? Is that a word? His hands, incredible speed, technique, his accuracy is second to none. Edson Barboza, fun guy to watch. But, I, you know, honestly, I'd love to see that fight with Lando Venata. Lando Venata has people like you and I in a tizzy because of how exciting he is. He's this unknown guy that comes in, almost knocks out El Kukui, a dust McDessie with a spinning wheel kick to the fucking face. He's really exciting to watch. Um, other fights that we could talk about, let's move to, I know we're bouncing all around the card, so I'm sorry for that, viewers or listeners, but Emil Weber-Meek versus Jordan Meehan. That was a pretty fun fight, even though it went to a decision. Jordan Meehan was showing off his um, his more technical skills early on versus Meek, but then Meek hurt Mean toward the end of the first round, I think, and then after that moment, Mean wanted nothing to do with the fight whatsoever. Do you think that Jordan Meehan... Like basically doesn't want to be a fighter anymore. And do you think that that Weber, uh, Emil Weber Meek? Do you think there we can expect big things from this guy, or was he just really shining from that knockout of Husamar Paul Harris? Oh man, some great questions there. One thing I noticed about Mean is that after he lost to Matt Brown, which was a while ago, that was back in 2013, and after he lost to Tiago Alves, it just seemed like he wasn't in there mentally too too much um and he did retire after his retire after his loss to tiago alves after that brutal body kick knockout loss in the second round um and he just didn't want anything to really do with mma competition after that he then decides to come back and did get this fight scheduled with meek and uh ended up losing again this is the first time that he's fought in the past, I guess, like almost two years, and when's the last time he won? I, I have no idea. I can't even tell you the last time he won. Um, last time uh, Jordan Meehan won a fight was August 23rd, 2014, over Mike Pyle. Before that was um, a decision mm. against Hernani Perpetuo, and Mean's record is 29-11. and 11. He's a young guy, but... He already retired for two years once. Um, he looked like he did not want to fight in the second and third round whatsoever in this contest against Emil Weber-Meek. Perhaps he should be done. The reason why I picked against him in this fight, even though I think he was like a two-to-one favorite, I picked against him because he already retired once. Once you're questioning if you want to be a fighter, you don't, you're not going to win at this level. This level of competition is – there. It's filled with dudes who they have a pure desire. This is their life. They live and breathe this shit. And Jordan Meehan obviously didn't want to be it, so he quit for two years. Um, he needed a paycheck. He already had a, you know, he had a fight on his contract with UFC, so he took it, got a paycheck. But obviously, in the second and third round, he did not want to be there. So I think Mean should retire again. And Emil Meek, he's. Um, he's not the most technical guy, but he is really powerful. And but you know how he had to delay his UFC debut because of uh, performance and not before, not because of performance enhancing drugs, but because 
uh, he had to delay it because of something with USADA. He didn't want to fail a test, basically, so he delayed his UFC debut. Perhaps he was on some, some stuff before he came into the UFC. Either way, I do think that there are some exciting matchups for him down the road. Uh, what do you think about Emil Weber-Meek? Um, you pretty much nailed him on the head. I wasn't really too, too impressed with his striking, even though he did hurt Jordan Mean in that fight. It just seemed a little bit too wild. I, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, it just didn't look too clean or crisp uh, in comparison to some of the other guys that are in the weight class. So, and I also do think that um, that win that he had over Paharis kind of carried him over into the UFC. I feel like if he wouldn't have won that fight, or even if that fight didn't happen against uh, Rosemir, I feel like he wouldn't be in the UFC. Um, so, but then again, it was an impressive performance. I mean, he beat a, a veteran like Jordan Mean, who's been uh, doing a lot of work in strike boards back in the days, and also here in the UFC. Um, even though he performance tonight. Um, I think uh, Emil could make some improvements, but I honestly just don't really think or know enough about him right now uh, to be able to say that he's going to do anything in the division. I think that we're going to have to see a lot more of him and also step up and maybe get a fighter that's more uh, not seasoned or not, I guess, a more active fighter. I feel the fact that he was thrown in there with a guy like Jordan Mean, who hasn't fought in two years, um, who did pretty much retire. I don't think that was – I mean, it was a good fight for him, the fact that he was able to win, but I think he needs to fight a guy that's been active in his next performance. Uh, and then we can say a little bit more about him, but as of right now, uh, he's just, I guess, in the middle of the division. And um, I, like I said, need to see a little bit more. Yeah, I'm excited to watch this guy down the road. I feel like we should put him in fights that are um... – action fights i don't want him to fight somebody who's super technical going to be throwing straight punches i want him to fight somebody who's going to kind of relegate themselves to his style of game throw wide looping strikes and kind of engage in a brawl i'm looking at the rankings here uh george masvidal is the number 15 welterweight in the world and i think that george masvidal would absolutely tool on emil meek i mean just based on what i saw today from emil meek but somebody like rick story who's number 10 welterweight in the world Rick Story versus Emil Meek would be a decently fun contest. Rick Story has underrated wrestling skills. Emil Meek showed off some wrestling skills tonight. And the striking, um, Story, he does have a little bit more crisp and uh, technical striking abilities than Emil Meek showed tonight. But, um, you know, he's not the best striker in the world. Like Donald Cerrone showed when he fucking absolutely tooled on Rick Story. So I don't know exactly what Rick Story's got scheduled, but... I would actually like to see Rick Story versus Emil Meek. That's going to be my fight making. Wes, we're getting toward the end of the show. I think we should start to wrap it up here. I'm going to make up – I just made up a section in my brain. We're going to do this. What is your what the fuck for UFC 206? Ooh, I like that. Oh, man. Let me think about that for a second. Um, man, there's a bunch of different things I can say. Here, I'll let you. I'll let you go first. I need to think of one for a second. I, I can't. Uh, let me. Yeah, I'm gonna need to think of something real quick. I, no, I think I got one. I think I got one. Um, yeah, I got one. I definitely have one. Uh, Valerie Letourneau versus uh purple lipstick, that Brazilian girl. I have. <laughs> that was one of the worst fights of the card. I couldn't stand it, man. I feel bad saying that, but that fight was so hard to watch. I felt like both. 
were not mentally ready. Valerie looked awful at the weigh-ins. I feel like neither uh, should have been happy for their performance. I don't think either should have been awarded a win. Uh, that fight, neither – it wasn't good technically, um, and it wasn't good entertainingly, and I don't think that's a word, but whatever. And um, neither performed like they ever want to be at the top of the division. I feel like both didn't – they just didn't show show up. I was really disappointed, and I thought that would be a little bit better of a fight, even though I wasn't really uh, fond of the matchup. I didn't really know too much about the Brazilian girl. But uh, honestly, I just thought it was a terrible – Terrible fight, and that's my uh, WTF for UFC 206. Yeah, the fight ended up, that fight ended up kind of terrible. I do expect bigger things from Vivian Perea in the future because I watched some film on her prior to the fight card, and she's like kind of a wild brawler, so she could be exciting in the future. The thing of it is, Valerie Letourneau is a really technical striker, and her technical ability got the better of Vivian. You know, obviously in this fight for me, uh, Valerie Letourneau was the more skilled fighter, but the weight cut depleted her so much so that in the second and third round, she was unable to throw her weapons because she just didn't have anything for her. So maybe if, and Vivian's probably a 105 pound fighter actually, cause she's pretty tiny. But I do think that Vivian could be an exciting fighter in the future because ordinarily she's a wild brawler. I don't know if maybe she had some, uh, some, some uh, octagon jitters. Valerie Letourneau was getting the better of her with the length advantage and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that fight did end up sucking. So that's a good what the fuck for UFC 206. My what the fuck is going to be a positive what the fuck for UFC 206, Wesley. And I'm going to give it to Cub Swanson and Duho Choi. This is getting this award after award, this fight tonight. And I'm going to more specifically talk about my WTF being for Duho Choi. The man's chin is what the fuck? Fuck the guy's chin. He <laughs> ate some of the biggest bombs I've ever seen landed on anybody, and he was still awake. And he was just, you know, afterward he was just sad. He wasn't unconscious. He was just a little sad. He ate some enormous bobs bombs from Cub Swanson. And my WTF goes to how good is Duho Choi's chin? Um, so that about wraps it up. If there are no more comments, oh, here we go. Shane Love Train Rail been watching this whole time. Thank you so much, brother. Really appreciate it. My WTF goes to. Joe Rogan calling Duho a cute little boy on numerous numerous occasions. Uh, that's some funny shit, right, Wes? No, oh, it is. I love it. Yeah, I mean, he looks like one. Pretty much, he's got a little baby face. He he does look like he's twelve years old, and it is really exciting that this twelve-year-old looking man comes in there and can put heavy leather on people's faces. So it is weird that. Like Shane, did you watch the promo videos where they said over and over, this guy's unassuming, he looks like a young man, but he's still a knockout artist? So yeah, WTF on Colin Duho Choi, a little boy. Anyway, let's get the hell out of here, Wesley Riddle. It is 1.20 a.m. my time. It must be 2.20 a.m. your time because you're an East Coast uh, rough rider. Um, so Wesley, tell the audience what you have going on, where they can find you, and all that jazz. All right, thanks, man. Uh, let's see. I'll start off. You can follow me on Twitter at all that MMA. That's where I do a lot of my interactions with you guys that are out there. I uh, love to be able to talk about fights and also just about life in general. Have a lot of fun over there on Twitter. So that's all that MMA. Feel free to give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. Also, you can check out some of my work over at MMASucker.com. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time. I'm in college right now um, in Roanoke, Virginia, and I have to stay really busy 24-7 with schoolwork. 
Um, but I have been doing matchmaking articles post fights for every single UFC event. I'm going to have one up tomorrow following this fight card, UFC 206, and I'm going to suggest some fights to make for the main card winners and also some fights I think that should be made for those that were defeated on the prelims and fight pass card. Uh, so I've been doing that. That's where you can find my work over there, MMASucker.com and all the MMA on Twitter. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Tonight it is pretty late, uh, and I'm definitely going to be looking forward to getting some sleep and probably watching Choi versus Swanson again in the morning. Thanks for joining me, Wesley. If you're watching this show or listening to the audio podcast and you don't know where to find me, my question to you is how the fuck did you find the show? Uh, this is a legitimate question. If you don't know where to get at me on Twitter or or whatever and you found the show, how did you find it? Because I need to increase my output in that area wherever the hell you found it. I'm going to get the hell out of here. I'm probably going to drink myself a couple of more beers before I go to sleep. You know, I got a 2 o'clock bedtime, so I got like 40 minutes to put down some extra drinks. And uh, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to me. I'll see you on the next video. If this is on iTunes, please give it a review. Five star, one star, I don't give a shit. Just give it a review. Tell me why you reviewed it the way you did, and I'd really appreciate that. We'll see you on the next episode of The Flying Brian Show. Namaste. Namaste.